Oh, God. I feel pretty burnt out today. And honestly, I have felt burnt out in many seasons of my life. When I got married, I vividly remember telling my two best gal pals in the world that life wouldn't change at all. Everything would be the same. Except now I would have the cherry on top, a partner who I loved by my side. Boy, was I wrong as hell. Adjusting into my marriage was a huge challenge for me. I learned very quickly that as low maintenance as my partner might be, my desire for excellence and deep commitment in my personal life was now colliding with him. I learned that I had to quickly prioritize what mattered to me in this new transition. Burnout. It's something I'm always often on the cusp of. I like to think I can be excellent at everything. My marriage, my career, my creative pursuits, my relationships, family, friends, etc. For me, burnout often looks like a total lack of focus, loss of joy over the things I'm interested in, an inability to show up and be present for the people who matter to me. And in this season, if I'm being honest, I haven't quite figured out the dial of seeking value in my life and preventing that type of burnout. One thing I know for sure, though, is that every dial can't be set at 100%. But despite that, sometimes it feels really hard to navigate those dials especially when you feel the pressure to be present in all the different dials of your life. I don't think many of us were given the tools to know when we're hitting E on the gas and what to do if we're getting dangerously close. And that's really not fine, is it? Hey, I'm Rachel, and this is the It's Fine Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Nina Nesdoli. She's a stress and burnout prevention speaker and researcher. On this episode, we'll talk about what burnout actually is and where you actually experience it, how to think about your life responsibilities as balls of glass and rubber, how to consider self-compassion as a way to avoid burning out, and also how to set boundaries in the workplace, because we all could use some more boundary advice. Are you ready? Let's get into it. What does burnout and stress look like? And then the common thing that I think most of us do, which is let's ignore it and let's pretend like it's not happening and we'll just keep pushing along. Why do you think people do that? Stress is best defined as a psychological and physiological response to changes in your environment that you feel that you don't have the capacity to cope with. So stress can be really positive in that it mobilizes your body. It helps you mobilize your resources. If you are experiencing fight or flight in the moment, your heart rate goes up, your pupils dilate, you're more focused, you have this energy and alertness. Stress is really wonderful in the moment to help you address what is right in front of you. Our stress response is it's there to help us. The problem comes in if we are constantly experiencing a stress response. So burnout is an occupational phenomenon that results from chronic and excessive stress that hasn't been successfully managed. So if we are constantly experiencing stress or we have it ongoing or just to such an excessive amount, because experiencing stress is a very natural part of what we do in our day to day. But if it's if it's too high, if it's too excessive, that's massively overwhelming on our bodies and on our nervous system. And it is damaging in the long term. And that's when we get burnout. We get that depletion over time from too much stress too chronic of stress. How does it turn into burnout? Or if you can give us an example of what 
it could look like where I'm trying to make sense of it all. And, and I can even use my own experience is that I think where I'm seeing burnout for me is actually because there are multiple stressors in my life. So it's not just work or it's not just my podcast and it's not just my family. It's all of these things. And then I kind of experience burnout because all of these things are happening at once and I don't know how to cope with one, two, or any of them. Is that kind of what you mean when you see folks experiencing burnout? Yeah. So burnout is primarily defined according to an occupational phenomenon. And I think that having that part of the definition is important because it helps us place some of the responsibility on organizations for their role in creating a healthy work environment. But at the same time, you're a whole person and you've got things going on in other areas of your life that are going to converge. Work does not exist in a vacuum. So if you have something going on in your personal life, if you have something going on in your family that is a stressor for you, you're using your resources and your energy to deal with that. It gets even harder to deal with what's going on at work. Burnout has three dimensions, emotional exhaustion, cynicism, and reduced professional efficacy. So the first thing that we see with burnout is usually emotional exhaustion. That usually comes first. And that's also kind of the most familiar. Sometimes in the media, we use those terms, burnout, exhaustion, interchangeably. With exhaustion, it's this feeling of being really run down, really depleted. You may be irritable and easily frustrated, tired, and yet you can't sleep properly. And just this sense that if one more thing goes wrong, you're not going to be able to take it. Like your body just is too tired and you cannot handle it. Cynicism is a psychological withdrawal. So you get really pessimistic, really distrustful. You might start to look at other people in your life and feel like they're out to get you, just not see them as helping or supporting you, but as getting in your way. And with reduced professional efficacy, it's the sense that you are no longer accomplishing enough. You're losing your sense of accomplishment in relation to your work. And ironically, with reduced professional efficacy, this creates a bit of a loop because you feel that you're not good enough and you're not doing enough. So when what you really need is rest, you push yourself harder. It's important to distinguish between, you know, what I think people typically think of when you think of burnout, right? Personally, I feel burnout at work and it influences my ability to be successful in other realms of my life, right? And I define work for myself as both like the professional pursuits I'm doing as an entrepreneur and exploring my the creative interests that I have, as well as like my nine to five, right? And when I feel burnt out there, and oftentimes, quite frankly, I feel it, I feel it the most there. And then I just feel like it adds on in other areas of my life. What are some of the signs that folks can look for? Yeah, so I find it's, often it's hard to identify the signs in ourselves. So you can look for maybe some of the key things that you're saying and take those as your warning signs. So if you find yourself describing yourself as exhausted to other people, there's a good chance you're experiencing some emotional exhaustion. It can manifest physically as well. Headaches, tension in the neck and shoulders. Some researchers believe that emotional exhaustion happens because stress is getting trapped in the body. You're not having enough opportunities to relieve stress. So you can feel these physical symptoms and you may also be expressing to others that you're constantly tired, you're worn down, and you're exhausted. With the cynicism and depersonalization, there's often a piece of dread 
So you start to dread interactions with others, especially if you're client focused, you dread interacting with your clients and not like just the mean client. Like we've all had that client or customer that is hard to deal with, but just in general, you don't want to engage with people. You dread seeing other people at work. You dread your coworkers. You've lost interest in your relationships. And if you're hearing comments from other people about that, like, hey, you seem really cranky or like you're withdrawing, that might be a sign. With the reduced professional efficacy, the biggest one that I see is people start to say they're getting bad at their job. They feel like they're failing at their job and it has come on pretty suddenly. It's hard to catch these things because in our minds, they feel true. But if you are describing yourself as exhausted, you're dreading interacting with anybody in your workplace, and you feel that you are failing at work or you're getting worse at your job, all those things added up may be pointing at burnout. I love what you said about the fact that we think that these things are just true, right? And I think that's the challenge for someone to challenge that mindset that maybe this isn't about me. This might just actually be a phenomenon that I'm experiencing. This to me is like the it's fine part of burnout. What have you seen as the reason why people just accept burnout and blame themselves rather than like challenging that perspective and maybe considering alternatives to the way that they feel? I think it's a couple of things. First, it's a slow buildup. So it's not as if you wake up one day and you suddenly feel this way and you're like, wow, I feel so much different than I did yesterday. This is horrible. It sneaks up on you. And Sometimes there's very dramatic things that happen, people having some kind of big health scare or some kind of accident, but oftentimes there's not. They just persistently have this stress building up and they keep going. So that's the first part is it is gradually becoming our new normal. So we don't see it happening. The second thing is more wider societal, societally that we do still unfortunately accept this it's very acceptable to say, I'm so tired. I'm so exhausted. And someone else is like, yeah, me too. Ugh. And we just keep rolling yeah. where really those are opportunities to say, hey, something's not right. And what can we address in our environments or in ourselves that is going to change that? But we do have still a culture that really accepts that. I think there's more interest in like people living as like their whole selves. But I know within myself and even just like in my career, like it was super normal to be like, oh, yeah, I'm super tired or I'm just going to work all the time. And like you just accept it as what it is. And honestly, when I started my podcast, I think that was something I really struggled with because I had to decide for myself that my podcast was something that was a hobby, something I could enjoy, even though I think like initially when I started, I was like, oh, this is going to be an income stream. This is going to be work. Like I need to see it that way. Whereas like taking some of that pressure off to be like, this is just something I really like to do. And if it grows, it's awesome. And if it doesn't, like it's going to be a hobby. But I do think that we all feel this pressure to be like constantly working, whether that be in like the occupational work that you do or like in the other interests that you might have. It has to feel like yeah, I don't know, maybe like achievement or like I have to accomplish something. And I imagine people who experience burnout probably fall more into that camp. What's really interesting to me about what you said about health scares, I feel like those like really dramatic moments are what get drive people to take action. I would love to ask you first, what do you do if you're there? Let's say if you're like, I am burnt out or I'm dangerously close to getting there. I have all three signs, right, of the dimensions that you're, you were mentioning before. 
What does that look like to come out of that? So the framework that I like to refer to for addressing burnout, and it works both for prevention and changing it and for recovering from it, is a model of demands and resources. So there's a model in the research that says that burnout happens when your demands exceed your resources. So to boil it down in a nutshell, we're looking for where we can decrease the demands and where we can increase our resources. So for increasing resources, first and foremost, when we get really busy, really stressed, really burnt out, is not the time to stop doing things to take care of ourselves. It's when you need it most. So if you have an exercise regimen, if you love to read, whatever these things are that you enjoy that help you to feel rested and to recharge, they need to stay. Taking those out is completely counterproductive. It just leads to more stress, more exhaustion. Even though it feels really daunting and really overwhelming to keep those things in when you're burnt out. You're like, ah, something's got to go. It's going to be like my me time. Bye. doesn't work that way because in your brain and in your body, those things are so crucial to allowing you to function and address the demands that are in front of you. And then in your work or whatever circumstances you've got that are creating the burnout. So I like to look first at just a full stop of taking on new things. Like you just cannot add more things to your plate. And then you start looking for the things that can go. What can fall? I love to use an analogy of dropping the ball in that not all balls are glass. So if you look at all the things that you're juggling, some of those are really important. Like your experience of your work and your podcast and making your podcast into this amazing income stream, that was not a glass ball. So when you realize that you were overwhelmed, you got to say, okay, maybe that's rubber and it can bounce a little bit and I can catch it sometimes and do the podcast. It's not glass. That's not what gets smashed. So we need to look at what we've got on our plates, what we've, what we're juggling, what we've got in the air and say, okay, what, what can go? What can I say no to? What can I delay or put off? Where do I need to set boundaries so that I'm going to be doing less going forward. And it is so uncomfortable, especially when you've built yourself up as this person that can do everything. It hurt. But if there's one thing that I've learned in my own experiences, it's that sometimes rest is the most productive thing that we can do. Wow. I had had kind of my own experience with burnout indirectly because during my bachelor's degree, I had a really severe concussion and I completely ignored the initial indicators that I needed to slow down. When I was first, I had, I had a fall, I fell in yoga and I hit my head. When I first went to the hospital, I just focused really hard on passing the assessment, which I was able to do because they did all these balance tests. And I used to be an athlete. So I could pass the balance test. So even though I felt horrible, I told myself it was okay. And I carried on and I wound up making my concussion much, much worse. When I was recovering from my concussion, I remember I got back to work, school, all of the things I had going on in probably October, November. I had been off work for seven months. I was starting to build back in. And as I was coming back, I was immediately loading myself up again. 
what led to my concussion in the first place was I was too exhausted to be in yoga class. I had completely overloaded my life. I'd gotten special approval from my department to take an overload of courses. I was trying to make up for time off I had taken when my dad had leukemia. So I had no self-compassion going into this. I was trying to do everything. I go through the concussion. I come back and I'm doing the same thing. It's November. I am barely managing to go to the gym. I'm taking three classes. I'm on half my hours at work. And I'd gotten it in my head that by January, I would be back at a full course load, full hours at work, my regular gym routine, and I'd sign myself up for a leadership program. And I looked at all of this and I went, hold on a second. The only person that made all these rules for me is me. The only person that is pressuring me to do more is me. And if I kept going the way that I was going, I was just going to end up sick again. The most productive thing that I could do for myself was do less, take the rest that I needed to recover. It took me six years to graduate from my undergrad. I don't think anyone is going to look at me objectively and say, she's lazy. She's a failure. And yet that's exactly the attitude that we sometimes take with ourselves when we have to admit that we need help. We need time off. We need to do less. I just love your thought around self-compassion because it's so hard to admit that we need help or we need more resources. And it's something that I've been thinking a lot about because I have a pretty big job. I have these other interests, right? And then there are some things that are important to me, but to your point are not glass. To use an example, one thing that my partner and I have recently gotten into is not cooking our meals. So we actually invested in like a meal prep service. So like it allows us to get meals that just need to be thrown into the oven. And when I tell you like removing that thought out of my mind of like, well, I do enjoy eating as healthily as possible. I don't want to be eating takeout. How can I find a solution that works for us? That mental space being opened up has been so freeing for me because now I can focus on other things. And I think doing an inventory of what actually matters to you. I love that analogy of what is glass? Like for some of us, that might be our relationships or our children or how we take care of ourselves, right? But then there might be other things that we're putting a ton of pressure on ourselves to be excellent at. I know that I put a lot of pressure on myself. Maybe that's just the way that I am and the way that I grew up. I just have this sense of like, I need to be able to do it all, be it all. Is that true for folks who are experiencing burnout? And what do you say to people who are in that place, right? And like how to change that perspective and bring themselves more self-compassion. I find one of two things is true for people experiencing burnout. It's either that high achiever archetype. So the type A, the perfectionism of, I always need to be doing more and I always need to be doing it the best way possible. Or it's more of the people pleaser, caretaker archetypes where it's, I only have value if I'm taking care of other people and if I'm doing things for other people. And both of these lead to burnout and neither of these are true, right? right? Neither of these things are true. And yet somehow over our lifespan, these are the messages that have become ingrained. My aspiration for people is that one day we will all simply believe that we deserve rest and we deserve to enjoy our lives outside of work. But that's a big jump to make. So I think the best place to start is by thinking of the ways in which having rest and having space in your life helps you be better, that rest makes you more productive. So if you're that type A perfectionist archetype, having rest, keeping your exercise regimen in there 
increases endorphins, increases your focus, makes you better at your work, having some space to let your mind wander. There's a network in your brain called the default mode network. And when your mind is wandering, this network helps us to connect ideas and future plans. So if you want to be more creative, if you want to be more strategic at work, you need those elements of mind wandering. Having rest times to relax and recover makes you better able to handle future stressors that will come. If you're more of that kind of caretaker archetype, the productivity of rest comes not only for you, but for the people that you're helping. There is a phenomenon called emotional contagion, and it extends to burnout contagion, where if you are burnt out, you can spread that burnout to other people. It is contagious. It moves through groups. So not taking care of yourself first is not a sacrifice. It is potentially detrimental to those around you. I spoke with Catherine Morgan Schaffler about perfectionism. Her definition of perfectionism from the research and the work that she does is really around this line of when you're trying to achieve an ideal state, you often are will push at all costs, right? One thing that she calls out in her book that I find to be really connected, Nina, to the work that you're sharing is that self-punishment is actually a a cheap way of being able to really grow, right? Like when we punish ourselves, when we don't allow ourselves the flexibility to figure out like, why do I feel like this? And how do I change what I'm doing? That's the meaningful growth work, right? When we punish ourselves and push forward, that doesn't actually mean that you're growing or if you're actually becoming better. It's a lot of work to sit down and think about, okay, what are the rubber versus glass walls? How do I connect the dots between when I exercise, I actually am more productive in the workplace, right? That takes a lot of thought and and thoughtfulness and kindness to yourself and time, I think. Are you willing to build that around your life, right? That ability to really change and evolve because what might have worked for your burnout when you were 20, right, probably doesn't work when you're 35 and you have two newborns at home, right? Or like a yeah. two young kids at home. And I think that we have to really see this as an opportunity of not just like I'm burnt out and like here are the five steps to help me not be burnt out anymore, but how are we evolving in our lives to hopefully not get to that point where you're dangerously close or there? Exactly. We need to look for those places where we start to say things like, oh gosh, I just have to make it until next month and realize that if we carry on that trajectory, that's what's going to get us to burnt out. So Rather than trying to make ourselves survive the month, that's the time to say, not all balls are glass. What can bounce? What can fall? What do I need to do for myself? We can structure your workday. We can do all of these different things. But ultimately, what makes the difference is you deciding that rest is a productive and necessary part of your life. And to your point, you have to be willing to do that work and you have to be willing to grieve a little bit of what that will mean. The type A perfectionists and people pleasers, we want to be superhuman. And admitting that we're not stings. It's deciding that you're willing to part with that version of yourself in favor of a version of you that can be happier, better rested, more connected to your life and your work, ultimately, when you have the space for it versus staying immersed in that superhuman version of you that was the most impressive and the most tired. Oh, that was a knife to my heart. I totally have navigated and continue 
to navigate the superhuman desire to be all things for all people. I talk a little bit in the start of this episode around like thinking that I could stay the same when I was transitioning from a single person to a married person and really having to understand that there was this whole new life and this whole new person and the things that were important to us that I really wanted to prioritize, right? Like for some of those things, those were glass balls, my relationship with my partner's family and like the connections that we made as a family together meant that some other balls became rubber. And that was so hard for me. I was like, I want to be the best friend and the person that is there for all the people in my life because I am, funnily enough, both the types of people that Nina mentioned. I am both the perfectionist type A and I'm also a super people pleaser. And so when I wasn't able to be that friend and consistently show up the way that I was, it really stung. It hurt me so much because I wanted to be everything, right? And I'm actually dealing with this now in a different way because I've thus learned that I can't have all of these relationships. But it's really interesting as I start exploring the creative and like the professional side of who I am and who I want to be in my life. One of the areas that I really struggle with is I still want to be a connector and people person. And I overbook myself all the time. And I was just joking with Nina. I'm like, I am at the top of my dial in terms of just where I'm at in terms of burnout. And it's because I still want to be this person who is there for other people instead of really just taking that time to rest between all the many things that I do. Maybe this podcast episode is just for me. I have to really think about that and really consider okay, what does that mean? Will I be okay with myself and honor myself and love myself if I can't be that person? even now at this stage, and even more people being removed from my core group that I have to connect with on a regular basis. Nina, as we close today, I'm just curious, what would you say to somebody who is burnt out and is saying, "Eh, I'm going to keep pushing through? There's not a lot you can say to someone who's made that choice. I, I do hear that from people often. And often I share my own story, which I've shared with you all today. And I take that angle of rest is one of the most productive things you can do. And if you keep going the way that you're going, all these gains, all these achievements, all these ways of helping others, ultimately, one day, it all drops. You know, if you're trying to juggle the rubber balls, the glass balls and everything else, and you never let anything go, you'll do that until it all falls down. There's a big consequence of carrying on when you're burnt out. So it's hard to turn around and do something else. But ultimately, I think that, at least for me, there has been more enjoyment, more meaning, and surprisingly enough, a more fulfilling career than I ever could have imagined in the slowing down and in the taking space. As someone who is totally the archetype that Nina discussed, (laughs) I will say that in being kinder to myself, I've experienced much more joy and much more fulfillment in my work and in the things that I want to pursue. I think that it's very hard to feel like you're not where you think you should be. And I think that kindness to yourself is knowing you're exactly where you're meant to be at this point. And you know what? If I had to sum it up, actually, I was just thinking about that as you were talking there. I think I would say this is your life. 
you're not working to get to something else out there. Like, this is it. Yeah. It's happening right now. So you can decide how you want to live it. This is it, though. It's not out yeah. there waiting for you. This right. is your life. Enjoy it. If we can live with open hands, right, and know that, like, the life that you're living, you are perfectly worthy and exactly where you're meant to be. When we live from that place, the possibilities are limitless. Nina, I want to thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you for your wisdom and just like this incredible breadth of knowledge and research that I think is, is going to mean so much to the folks listening today. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Rachel. It's been a pleasure. You know, I think it's very easy to think of the next place, the next job, the next relationship, the future kid, the next life stage. All of those things are so much better than where you are now. But look, man, nothing in life is promised. And if we can decide that living to the fullest, carpe dieming your ass right now is how we should live, how much more can we get out of life the day you're living right now, today? In fact, I would say thinking that your life will be some sort of alternate reality or we suddenly have control of all the variables simply is not true. Life will constantly throw us some curveballs. And sometimes the things we want aren't actually what we need. Believe me, I've been wrong a few times about what I need, time and time again. We can always strive. We can always want for more. But you know what's actually harder? Saying right now, in this moment, in the midst of my messiness, my imperfection, my not ideal state, I am worthy of love and rest, and joy. That's the state that we should be striving for right now. That's the state I desire for you, my beloved listener. Now go. Carpe diem your ass to joy. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being with me today. It means the absolute world that you would spend time listening to this podcast. Share this podcast with anyone who you think could benefit from the message of not settling for fine anymore. Share it with your sister, your cousin, your friends, your mom, your dog, your partner. I don't care. I would love to get the word out about why we don't have to settle for fine anymore. I can't wait to see you again next week. Talk soon.